Welcome to The Shit Show. Welcome to the world of the media. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to episode four of The Shit Show. Liv, can you believe that we're already four episodes in? No, I actually can't. And that means week four of lockdown? Yeah, because we started this during lockdown, eh? Yeah, I think we did. This is, yeah, wild. Wild. Um, Have you been, Dal? What have you been consuming this week? Um, yeah, to be honest, same old, same old this week. Um, I'm feeling fine, ready for this to be over, but we're pushing through. Um, I feel like our big mental health chat last week really got me grounded and has kind of improved how I've been looking at the lockdown. No, I agree. That's weird that you said that because it was like a therapy session. Yeah, it was like that. I actually had that thought the other day. Um, so I, to be honest, haven't even been consuming that much this week. I've feel like Siska has overtaken. We've been really busy, eh? Yeah, we've been pretty busy. But I have a couple of music recommendations. My first one is another Australian kind of rock chick singer, quite similar to Angie McMahon that I recommended last week. I must just be feeling this vibe of music. Her name's Julia Jacqueline. And as I said, she's from Australia. I think she's like 29. And I first found her because my flatmate recommended her cover of The Strokes Someday on Triple J. Um, I fucking love Triple J covers. They're the best. Do you listen to them, Liz? I love them. Yeah. Meg Mac's cover of Bridges I used to love in Year 13. Oh, yes. Throwback. Remember? Oh, shit. Yes. Um, so it's such a good cover. It just hits me in the soul. I would totally recommend that. Oh, my God. No. Haim or Haim's cover of That Don't Impress Me. Oh, That Don't Impress Me Much? No, that was in the live lounge. Yes, I remember that. I remember you showing me that at school. Oh, I love (laughs) that. I can never get into them though. No, neither. I always think, right, now I'm going to listen to the album. I'm going to love them. I never love them, but I love That Don't Impress Me Much. So maybe I just love Shania Twain. I think you do. I think that's the crux of that story. Me too. Um... But yeah, back to Julia Jacqueline. She's amazing. I then listened to her album Crushing, which is so, so good. It's pretty somber and moody. Um, she said she recorded most of it between like 12, um, 12 p.m.? 12 a.m. 12 a.m. If you're talking about when it's dark yeah. outside. Yeah. No, I am. That's the one. 12 a.m. and 4 a.m. <laughs> I can't believe you just had to ask 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. Like, we're literally 22. I Have <laughs> you never stayed up past 12, past 11 p.m.? Oh. You, you don't know what happens to time and space once you get to 11.59. <laughs> Live. Oh, fuck, I love you. I'm going to sound like a dumb piece of shit. Anyway, um, her album Crushing is really, really good. My favorites are Body, Don't Know How to Keep Loving You, and Good Guys so far. So yeah, I'd recommend that. What else have I been consuming? Oh, I've been rereading a poetry book by Charlie Cox called She Must Be Mad. I think she was like 22, around our age when she wrote it. I think it was a couple of years ago. She was kind of called like an Insta poet, but I just think she's a poet. It doesn't matter whether she's on Instagram or not. Plus a lot of her pieces are way too long to be written specifically for Instagram. Oh yeah, 100%. She, I think I heard an interview of her talking about how she was sick of people referring to her as that, which is so fair. This is her first book, She Must Be Mad. I'd totally recommend it's really deep dives into kind of the young female psyche about body image issues about mental health about love about sex it's super super good and it's not cliche right like that's what we love about it that's the thing because it's a similar setup to rupee cause milk and honey and to be honest i did enjoy milk and honey but i thought it was too much of an easy read in a sense like there wasn't enough grit to it whereas this one's super gritty much more uncomfortable to read but I think that's why I like it so much so yeah those are my recommendations Luce how's your week been what have you been consuming my week's been good I really enjoyed our therapy session last week and 
Man, I have enjoyed the One Direction content that has been coming out. <laughs> I bloody bet you have. Nearly 100% of it. The 1% that I don't enjoy is when people message me telling me that I'm not a directioner because I put the boys in order. <laughs> Sorry, that was the funniest message we've ever received. No. Guys, I honestly read, try to read all our Instagram messages and I love constructive criticism and I'll be the first to say sorry for anything I get wrong. But I did get this really, really long message. Like, I don't even know how many words, but it took me a long time to read. Basically telling me off because I wasn't being a true directioner because I put the boys in order in my One Direction power ranking and because I said that Liam was cringe, <laughs> which... I stand by. <laughs> Liam is fucking cringe. Have you seen his music videos? Like, I, I can't. Like, strip that down for me. Strip that down for me. Like, I'm sorry. Strip that down. It needs to be buried. He thinks he's a sex symbol, but it's just not going well for him. Bless you, Liam. I'm sure you're a nice guy, but... Oh, me too. And, like, I hope your kid's doing well, etc. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been loving the One Direction content besides the trolling I received this week. But um, my recommendations, so guys, I started, well, actually I finished the TV series Shrill and oh my God, everyone has to watch it. This isn't even an optional recommendation. This is like, you guys have to watch it. You just have to watch it. And I don't know how I'm going to keep tabs on you. Lucy's going to come to your house and fucking... No, because what if people want me at their house, Liv, and then they just don't watch it so I come round? <laughs> you just come around to hang? <laughs> come around to hang, sit there and make them watch Shrill like I did with Fleabag. Oh my God, Guys, yeah. I rewatched Fleabag like four times because everyone that came to my house, I wanted to show them it because it's a masterpiece. Anyway, so Shrill is a show about Annie who is a young fat female journalist who struggles at her job at it's called The Thorn and it's just like an online publication and she also struggles with her self-worth now the reason that I use the word fat as one of the adjectives to describe her is because she really really owns it she owns who she is and throughout the show you can really see her progression as a character and a person and it's played by A.D. Bryant from Saturday Night Live. So she's brought a really funny aspect to what is for some people a really confronting topic that can be hard to watch especially if you relate but good to watch if you relate. Seriously guys this show is amazing. So I actually found it really relatable. A lot of Annie's experiences, and she's the main character, um, reflected mine a lot. Like her relationship with food is really interesting to watch. And also her relationship with the water. Like she loves water, but she doesn't love like getting in her swimsuit and going and swimming with the other young kids. But then there's this amazing scene where she goes to a pool party and she just owns who she is. And honestly, it kind of made me emotional. Like I think it's... It's experiences that a lot of us have had, but we don't see reflected in mainstream television. You don't see the hardcore uncomfortability of your body and like during your teenage years. Yeah, a lot of TV shows try to portray that, but it's just never quite as like awkward and jarring as it really is. Yeah. So this one, I just think, especially season one, season one is definitely better than season two, but um, it is a comedy but it actually might make quite a lot of people emotional and then it does leave you feeling really empowered so everyone should seriously go and watch this and just remember to live defiantly Annie lives defiantly in the face of trolls and in the face of the mirror and there's no harm in every single fucking person watching this show maybe I've looked way too far into it but I just think you guys should go and watch it Lucy, I think you should live defiantly against your One Direction <laughs> troll. <laughs> okay, troll, go and watch Shrill or I'm going to come to your house and live defiantly in your house. The audience can decode that. <laughs> no, because we told people that if they didn't watch Shrill, I'd come to their house. So I'm just trying to make it all cohesive. <laughs> 
think there's any correlation to this conversation. <laughs> oh, guys, I think lockdowns made me and Liv oh. were definitely me a bit fucking cray. All right, what's your next recommendation, Liz? Okay, okay. My next recommendation, I'm getting through this. Um, I tried to write an essay about productivity in quarantine. It took me a month to do it. So this is an article that I read on Vox and I really fucking love it. So ever since we talked about the productivity debate last week, um, I've been thinking a lot about productivity and fulfillment, etc. And then I read this article, which basically starts off by alluding to moments in history where great things came out of lockdown or quarantine, like Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague, Sir Isaac Newton discovered the laws of gravity and invented calculus under quarantine. Oh my god, talk about pressure. Lich. Literally. <laughs> Yes, I just abbreviated literally because who has time when we're trying to be so fucking productive to use full words? Um, So after hearing about those people's accomplishments during lockdown, it kind of goes into the fact that, you know, we are not all Shakespeare or Newton. We are just us. Speak for yourself. Okay, Liv. Well, we get it. You're really good at probability. I ace that year 13 paper. I know. So we just need to deal with things how we need to deal with them. It also draws really interesting comparisons to productivity and capitalism. So the author Constance Grady wrote... The push to be productive while sheltering in place during a once-a-century global catastrophe was the latest sign, critics argued, of capitalism corrupting our minds. So basically, she started talking about how we view time as money. We should be more task-based. We should be focusing on tasks rather than trying to get things done as quick as possible to make the most money as possible yes, in the hours in the day. that's so true. I know. We do see time as money and we should focus on the actual quality of the task. That's what I needed to hear. Thank you. So, well, thank you, Constance, actually, who wrote this. I'm going to leave the um, article link in the show notes this week because I think you guys should all go and read it. So here's the story, folks. Okay, so I think it's time, guys, that we talk about what's going to happen in the show this week. So we're going to start off with Around the World and Five Headlines, where we give you guys five headlines that caught our eyes this week, and then we're going to launch into a conversation about bad sex which has stemmed from an article that was posted on Shit You Should Care About this week. Around the world in five headlines. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? Headline number one. Captain Tom Moore passes £20 million in NHS fundraising. So this is from the BBC. Um, This story I honestly fucking love. I have shed a tear about this story in the last couple of days, reading all the updates that have been coming from it. So Tom Moore, who is an army veteran in the UK, had aimed to raise £1,000 by completing 100 laps of his Bedfordshire garden by his 100th birthday. Bedfordshire? Yeah. That's where I'm from, Luce. Is it? Yeah. Oh my god. Well, you might be related to Tom Moore and he's basically an icon. Tommy boy, hit me up. All right, continue. Well, he has actually raised over 20 million pounds, which is fucking crazy. And he's just the cutest guy alive. So Prime Minister Bojo has said that he's looking at ways to recognize Tom's heroic efforts. And Tom has even had a special message from Wills and Kate. So, yeah, the story's really sweet. I posted about it on Instagram yesterday, and you guys loved it. And I'm going to link his donation page in the show notes below. Lovely. So the second headline we've got today is Fiona Apple's new album sounds like 2020 feels. This is from Vox. So to be honest, I don't even know that much about Fiona Apple, but she's someone that always comes up when artists are interviewed and they're asked who their musical inspirations are. And a whole lot of artists say Fiona Apple. So I have actually listened to a bit of her music in the past to try and see, you know, what the hype's about. So this, I think it's her first album in eight years, 12 years. I don't know, a really, really long time. She's renowned for not releasing much music close together I think the shortest gap between albums was from 
1996 to 1999 or something like that three years which for most people a lot of people you know release an album a year so she really is sparse in her music creation so I gave the album a listen and it's really good I think it seems to be one of those music pieces that you have to really listen over a few times because there's a lot going on so that's going to be something I listen to and you guys probably should as well because she's apparently a music icon. Headline number three. Woman mobilized to prevent COVID-19 in crowded Rohingya refugee camps. So this is an article by UN Woman. So the Rohingya crisis is something that I follow quite closely and I know that a lot of people don't know about it. So I'm just going to um, give a quick background. So I went to Myanmar in 2017 and this is where I learned about the persecution of the Rohingya people. So um, I could really do a whole episode on this and maybe I will do a segment on this later on but I'll try and keep it brief for now. Basically the Rohingyas are a Muslim minority group in Myanmar who since 2017, which is when the crisis massively scaled up, they were having injustices served towards them before this, but um, they've been victim to basically the Myanmar military's large-scale campaign of what can only be called ethnic cleansing, really. So the atrocities committed by the security forces in Myanmar include things like mass killings, sexual violence, widespread arson, um, just crimes against humanity so like their whole villages were getting burnt their women have been assaulted they've been basically forced to flee their home under the 1982 citizenship law Rohingyas have been denied citizenship so this is their home and they've been rendered stateless now so that makes them one of the largest stateless populations in the world. Um, there's a few reasons why this is all happening and their leader Aung San Suu Kyi has a lot to be accountable for but that is for another episode. Anyway these crimes against humanity have led the Rohingya people to flee Myanmar and become refugees and most of them have gone to refugee camps in Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. So the latest UN report says that there are over 850,000 Rohingya refugees from Myanmar in Bangladesh and the majority of these are women and girls which brings me to the actual article that I want to talk about today. Basically there's mounting fear guys about Cox's Bazaar being struck by COVID-19 so these are prime conditions for the virus in their camps. Social distancing is not an option because they are so crowded and by nature things are unclean. Their resources are seriously low. Things like soap and water are really hard to come by. Um, they have a ban on the internet so public health advice is spread by volunteers and megaphones. And basically volunteers in the camps are working with UN women to, to mobilize their communities and raise awareness about COVID-19. So the women are going door to door to provide crucial information about health and cleanliness and obviously they're observing physical distancing. As of early April, Rohingya women had already reached nearly 3,000 community members and this is amazing because these are just women living in the camps that all they gain from this is trying to make sure that their camps are as safe as possible and no one else seems to be helping them. There's not much that we can do. I feel really helpless in this situation. So guys, the Cox's Bazaar camps in Bangladesh are the world's biggest and the surrounding districts have just two intensive care unit beds. So if these people get sick, they are so ill-prepared that I really think that we need to be doing something about it. We need to at least be reading about it. We need to be talking about it. These people already don't deserve to be living like this. And now they are going to potentially die like this. They've been forced to live in these conditions for crimes that they didn't commit. And now they're going from the most persecuted to the most vulnerable. And I think it's just really, really fucked up. So I have left a link in the show notes for where you can donate to help get them supplies. But I think really the least that we can do is acknowledge these people, talk about them, learn about them, and just please don't scroll past the next headline that you see about refugees because these people are dying and they don't deserve to be in this position in the first place. 
and it's just really fucked up and it makes me really fucking angry so yeah let's help in the little ways that we can and hopefully hopefully between me and Siska and all you guys we can actually think of a way to make a more tangible difference fuck that's a really really sobering article Luce I know and I feel like this is something that I've cared about for a long time and this was the article that I wrote that actually Mm. started Siska because I wanted to write about this but I was posting it for someone else and they made me change a whole lot of the facts about it and then I was like actually no these are facts so let's make a platform where we can post about it and these people need our help so that's why we chatted about it today okay so on a little bit of a lighter note um the next headline is the unconventional beauty advice you should read now which is an article from rush magazine written by l Preesbury. so i actually posted this article on our instagram stories a couple of weeks ago i think it was written near the start of april but i thought i'd recommend it on here as well It's just like a really refreshing read. I feel like romantic beauty has been lost in our mainstream media and it's definitely time to bring it back because it's just an all-inclusive way of looking at beauty. What do you mean romantic beauty? Yeah, so this article talks about how there's so many different ways to look and where our beauty standards are so narrow, especially in mainstream media. So... Here's a little excerpt from the article. You could spend all your energy trying to look better or you could focus your life on being an interesting person. You should see the beauty in a distinctive feature, one that runs through the generational lines of your family. Hasn't anyone ever told you of the beauty of dark circles? Perhaps we could all aim to look romantic instead of hot. And on the days we feel that we look neither, we can laugh and then simply get on with our day. Oh, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, it's a really nice read, I think. And we need nice reads these days, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Speaking of nice reads, our fifth headline today, are One Direction Getting Back Together. This was posted by Lucy Blackiston on <laughs> Shit You Should Care About. Shameless plug. <laughs> you guys are probably across this story. And if you're not, I recorded a podcast on it last week. So go and listen to that. Or you can read our piece on Siska. Basically, One Direction have their 10-year anniversary coming up on July 23rd. And there have been a number of clues pointing to some kind of reunion. They've been FaceTiming, updating their socials to include all five of them, refollowing each other on Twitter, and the clues do keep coming, so I'm not going to say any more about this for fear of Liv punching me through our Zoom call, but honestly, go and listen to the last week's podcast and you can find out more. Bad sex. So this week, our topic was driven from the response that we had to an anonymous article posted on our website titled Bad Sex. For those of you who haven't read it, we're not talking about having sex with someone who's bad in bed but sex that leaves you feeling super shit sex that takes away a piece of yourself and instills a sense of shame shock and really it's sex that doesn't feel like sex at all so we thought the article discussed an area of sex that just isn't talked about at all really it's sex that's consensual but then you find yourself feeling really wrong during and or after Now guys, just before we get into this, I do just want to put a trigger warning before this conversation. So we are talking about sex, we make references to sexual assault. So if you think that this is going to be too hard for you to listen to, or you're not in the mental space to listen to it right now, that is absolutely fine. You can stop the podcast here. I do also just want to point out that during this conversation, me and Liv do really try to be as respectful to this sensitive topic as we can. But as we discuss later on, there's no dialogue that's available to talk about bad sex. And there's no discussions or research that exists really on it outside of the discussion we're about to have so it is really hard to get things right and we're not always going to get things right but we are just doing our best we do want to start a conversation and to start a conversation sometimes you have to talk about things that are uncomfortable to talk about and that's what we do in this conversation so 
We are trying our best. We just want you guys to know that we don't get it right all the time, but we are trying. And we want this to be something that people feel brave enough to talk about. And if we have to start that off and get a few things wrong or fumble over our words here or there, that's the price we're willing to pay. So just bear in mind that we're not perfect, but we're doing our best. So I'm going to actually start off this segment with a little poem that's from the book I recommended earlier on by Charlie Cox called She Must Be Mad. So Charlie actually talks a lot about how we feel during sex and why we may want sex. So this one's called I'll Be Home in the Morning. This is a mistake, but something in my loins says yes. Something allows him to undress. Something takes me straight to bed. And that something doesn't live in my head. It sits a pain within my chest, beyond a place where secrets rest. It's dark and I don't like it there. It's packed with secrets and overstuffed. Yet what it screams that mutes me deaf, the most blatant entry I misread, says simply, don't do this when all you want is to be loved. I just thought that poem really highlighted the topic for the week. Yeah, it's a beautiful poem. I think that's a really nice way to start a discussion that we don't exactly want to have to have. It's a shame that we have to have this conversation, but we do. And I think it's really important that we do. So many of you resonated with the article that was posted and there's just no vocab around this type of experience. So there's just no language to... Yeah, no, there's no language to discuss mm. this actually really, really broad area of sex. I think what the article and the response to the article really highlighted for me was that every, almost everyone related to it in some sense, but their relations were all quite different. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt from the article. So they say, I can't find anything to label what happened because I had agreed to. Actually, I initiated having sex. I didn't say stop because I didn't know how. The only thing I can use to explain what happened that night is bad sex. Consensual sex is a spectrum in which we need more language. Language prevents isolation and gives us the ability to explain and discuss. I know a similar thing has happened to a lot of people, which makes me question why the fuck can't we slash don't we talk about it? So that's kind of the crux of this conversation that we're having today. I think as with anything, if you feel like you don't have words to describe it, you're not going to talk about it. And that's the whole issue. And you're never going to feel validated. You won't feel validated and you won't talk about it because there's actually no way to describe it. You feel like you have no way to describe it. So I feel like this umbrella term of bad sex has really opened up an area for a lot of people to feel safe talking about experiences that they have in the past not known how to talk about and be taken seriously. Exactly, because there's just too much of a jump from what we deem normal sex to sexual assault. And there's such a huge, expansive area in between. And it can leave you feeling stupid. Like, it can leave you feeling like you should just get over what happened to you because it's not sexual assault and don't you dare label it sexual assault because exactly. that's way too far. You're taking it too far. You're accusing. Yeah. And this isn't about laying blame at all. No. This isn't about laying blame. It's about trying to find the words to discuss an experience that was traumatic for you or left you feeling like shit. We talked last week in our episode about how important it is to talk about things that make you feel like shit. If there's no words to discuss it and no one there to validate your experience because you can't even describe the experience without making it sound like you're making something more serious than it was by labeling it. That's, that's the thing. Because it, it, it is serious, but it's not serious in a court of law. So guys, with this conversation, we really want it to be driven by the comments 
that you guys left because this conversation is about all of us. It's not about me and Liv preaching what we think. It's actually about your experiences, validating them, and then trying to figure out a way that we can talk about bad sex in the future or just let people know that this is an area of sex that happens and it's okay for you to talk about it or to prevent it from happening. And I think what the comments again highlighted was that it's so universal but personal at the same time. And I feel like these are the hard discussions because you don't want to generalize people's feelings because it's all so, so incredibly personal and you you will never know exactly what someone's feeling like. But then also when you read other people having similar experiences, it can make you feel less alone. Liv, I agree. I think this is a way of one, validating everyone's personal experience and two, creating in a space of solidarity because yeah. for, for, for us to be strong and for, for us to make change, we have to have solidarity and for people to feel safe in conversations like this. So we're going to now read some of the comments that you guys left on the post on our Instagram and on our website. So someone wrote, this happened to me at 14. I didn't have the vocabulary to explain what was going on in my head. And in return, I just became numb to the explosive anxiety. Another person wrote, I relate to this so much. I have had consensual sex with someone, but still felt violated. I feel like my body was being used as a vessel to come into and not like it was a pleasure-filled experience being felt together. And there is no word for that, and it's hard to talk about. So guys, what both of these comments outlined for us was, again, that need for some vocab to let people actually vocalize how they feel about their experiences with what we can only call um, bad sex. So what these also highlight is that consensual sex can still feel violating. And I think that's the crux of what bad sex is. It's sex that you leave feeling violated, but you know that you... Allowed it to happen. Yeah. And even initiated it to happen. Exactly. So then there's that feeling of guilt associated with it as well. I think if you don't understand what is happening or what you're feeling while it happens, it's near impossible to tell your partner how it's making you feel during. So this is why the vocab is so important because we need to have words. And the thing is, I don't know what words, but hopefully talking about it, we'll try and figure it out along the way. We need language to tell ourselves what's happening so then we can tell our partner how we feel during these times because people aren't mind readers and we can't expect them to be we can't expect them to be mind readers you'd hope that you could expect them to feel the vibe of the situation but I don't know maybe they're too in their own head maybe they've got other things going on I think a really important thing to look at as well and I think this is going to be something that I'll keep coming back to throughout the whole conversation is looking at why you want sex because it's okay to want sex but if you actually look at yourself and kind of figure out why you want it what you want out of it you're going to be more inclined to know if the feeling is not right while it's happening if you're not getting the right things out of it if you're not feeling comfortable if you learn what emotions you like to feel during sex and what you don't like to feel during sex then you're going to be more likely to vocalize that if something doesn't feel right to you the next kind of element of this conversation we wanted to have was the idea of the gray area that exists between consensual sex to sexual assault, which is a massive gray area because a lot can change between giving consent and how you feel afterwards. So one of the comments that we got that kind of told us we really had to talk about this gray area was I think this is a very important topic because there is a gray area between just bad sex and sexual assault where it's difficult to draw the line. When it comes to laws regarding sexual violence, there's usually a discussion about whether it should be a no means no situation, 
it's rape if the perpetrator doesn't accept a no, or a yes means yes situation where it's rape if the perpetrator hasn't asked for consent and gotten a yes. This comment highlights that you can leave consensual sex feeling like you've been sexually assaulted when you haven't because you've given consent and that's the only thing that stops it from being sexual assault. So what this person is talking about is basically a situation that they have left feeling as though it's assault. They've given consent, but by the end, that was not what they signed up for. And they have nothing to describe this feeling because maybe they feel like it's not going to be validated if it isn't a crime. That's the thing. You're like, okay, cool. I'm having sex. I've had sex before. It's always been good. It's whatever. And then you're in the situation. You're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, this isn't. This isn't it. This is different. This is fucking different. And then afterwards you're like, what was that? I don't want that. I didn't ever want that to happen. But I consented to it. I said yes. How do we talk about this? How do we talk about this? And yes, there are going to be people also out there saying, well, why didn't you just say no in the moment? Um, Because this has never happened before. You're fucking confused. You're already in a compromised situation. Exactly. You're scared about hurting their feelings as well because and I know that to many people that may seem illogical but like if this is someone you know well and you care about them then you'd never want them to feel like they're doing something horrific even if they are it's a really complicated situation and this happens in relationships too this doesn't just happen one night stands it happens in marriages it happens this in one night stands is awful but I think people are more mentally prepared for it if it is a one night stand of someone they've never met before you you don't know what the sex is going to be like whereas if you're sleeping with someone that you've previously slept with quite a few times and that maybe you have a lot of feelings towards and you don't expect it and you don't expect it I mean you should never expect it you should never expect it but if it's not what you're used to yeah it just like hits you out of the blue and it's shocking and then therefore you don't know what to do in the moment you can freeze up I mean you're frozen you your brain leaves you well it's fight or flight it's not just fight or flight it's fight flight freeze you're frozen you can't So guys, we are in no way equating what this article said and what a lot of the experiences that you guys brought to us with sexual assault, because that's a huge allegation, but we are trying to talk about this grey area and we really are doing our best to not generalise, to not place blame and to not, as we said before, allege anything we are just trying to have a discussion about the gray areas and the vocab surrounding these experiences so another comment along these lines is this so this resonated with me a lot i had met a guy who i would say perked my interest he seemed genuine and acted as though he was interested so long story short i went along and initiated consent for something to happen He had picked me up and I got in his car and we went for a drive to talk and to get to know each other. I had kissed him first, so I guess he thought something was definitely going to happen. The thing is, I'm not sure if I wanted anything besides a kiss that night. I kept going over and over the scene in my head because yes, I did give him the signal that I wanted something, but when... I had said goodbye that night. The next few days, I was continuously thinking of the way it panned out or that my pleasure wasn't near what I know it to be. I think the main bit of this comment is that she said, the thing is, I'm not sure I wanted anything besides a kiss that night. And then obviously things progressed much further than that. And she... And she said she kissed him first. So yeah, she felt that she'd given him consent. Exactly. So she gave him consent. She gave him the idea that she was down for... It's hard because it's like, since when did kissing someone mean you wanted to have sex with them? Because I think she's insinuating that something did happen and that she didn't find it particularly pleasurable. So we don't know what actually happened, whether she had sex with him or not. But just in the grand scheme of things, like as a teenager, when you're kissing boys and you're kind of working up the ladder of all of the sexual things that you can do... I feel like you're given the chance to kind of like explore each step. Whereas as an adult, it's almost like you're expected to just 
You're expected to just go in and do the whole shebang at once. Literally, like, you're expected to just do it as soon as you kiss the person, which is a bit fucked because there's such a difference between kissing someone and having sex with them. So I think what's really important is to question what we actually want out of the interaction. So this leads into why we're having sex. Having sex for love or comfort instead of actually wanting to have intercourse so comments surrounding this topic we've got this one which is my first time having sex was at the age of 16 with a guy I had been dating for a year the sex was okay I was just excited to feel the love from this guy we dated for another year until things started getting toxic he was over at my house one day and told me he wanted to have sex and I was not down for it at all. I didn't say yes or no, but I let him drag my body to the end of the bed and fuck me. It seems that when people are comfortable enough with you, they assume full consent, but this should not be the case. I felt completely numb. How could a guy I thought I was in love with for two years look at me as just sex? He didn't even care if I was enjoying it. That was the last time I had sex with him. I couldn't have sex with anybody else for over a year. The next comment actually is from someone that talks about the first person that they are having sex with as well at 16. So the first guy I slept with at age 16 ended up as my boyfriend for five years. The only reason I had sex with him was to please him and be normal. I would put a pillow over my face and feel relieved when it was over because then I could feel free from the pressure to have sex for a few days. He was otherwise kind. I just don't think either of us knew better. I think it affected me more than I know, but who knows because I'm now too uncomfortable to really explore the matter. It was bad sex to say the least. And then there's one more comment with this theme. So... This is so true. You'll go into a sexual experience with someone and it's consensual. They've been so lovely to you up until now and you're really excited. But as soon as it's over, they don't care. No aftercare, no acknowledgement. You are ignored. They've used you to get their rocks off and now they're discarding you when you felt like it was going to be something else. There have been times where I've cried after sex when this has happened. It's not assault, but God, it makes you feel objectified, used, dirty. I think these three comments, and these are just three of, you know, the hundreds that we got, are really, really telling of, one, the effects that bad sex can have on you because you were wanting love and comfort or something else and what you got wasn't what you wanted. It's like the first two comments said, I couldn't have sex with anybody else for over a year. And the next one says, I'm too uncomfortable to really explore the matter now. So having sex for... Having sex for the wrong reason, not in like a malicious way at all it's more just in like you're not fully aware of what you want and that's not your fault and maybe you thought that it was for the right reason you thought you were going to come out feeling really loved yeah but you didn't and you realize afterwards that it wasn't and I think that's such a major thing with these types of experiences is that they affect you so much afterwards because during the time you don't know how You don't even understand how it's affecting you. Exactly. Like when the last comment said, it is an assault, but God, it makes you feel objectified, used and dirty. And and I feel like that kind of the three adjectives that come after you've sat with it for a while. Maybe you start off feeling weird after it, but after it festers and you think about it so much, you, you feel objectified and used and dirty. And that is not what anyone wants to come out of consensual sex feeling like. I also just do want to say not everyone wants sex for love and comfort. So we're all humans, which means most of us are inherently sexual and it's okay to just want sex for sex. It's fun and it can leave you feeling really good. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, 100% loose. If you genuinely feel in yourself and you want to go and find someone to have sex with or you have someone that you know that you have good sex with and it's really enjoyable and it's not about the comfort, it's not about the love, like you just want that physical engagement, that's like awesome. Go for it. I think 
the issue comes about when deep down that's not actually what you want you want love and affection you want comfort and then you're having sex and you think you're going to get that exactly which a lot of the time you do a lot of the time with good sex if you're having it with someone who really cares about you you will feel those things and someone said before about aftercare, which I think is really important, like just to be acknowledged, to have a laugh, to have a chat, like afterwards. Exactly. To feel safe. To feel safe. And what just happened. Exactly. Because like, it's such a vulnerable thing. It's super vulnerable and like just being discarded by someone is a really, really awful thing to happen. And this goes for same-sex relationships too. This is completely inclusive to all types of relationships. Bad sex can happen to everyone. And this happens to guys as well. We had a comment on the website saying that, I am an ex-Christian and didn't have sex until I was 23. After getting a divorce at 26, I decided I wanted to have a nice one-night stand. Turns out that my concept of sex within the safety of a relationship was wrong. The sex was bad. There was no care and no human element to it. Just a living dildo. I wanted to stop, but I had always been taught that men want sex, that they need sex. So I didn't say anything and walked home feeling nothing but shame and remorse. My lesson from that moment is that as a man, I am allowed to not want sex and I am allowed to say, let's stop or no. Who knew? And I think, Liv, this comment brings us perfectly to what we want to talk about next, how we can stop this happening and why this actually happens. And with this comment here, this shows that we need more education while we're growing up for all people, all genders. We need to have more conversations growing up in schools or wherever it may be about why we have sex and what different relationships to sex can look like. This boy is saying that he thought that men loved having sex and wanted to have sex but that was just what he was taught when in fact he really obviously hasn't figured out what his relationship to it is and that's where education comes in absolutely it's actually really interesting the gender debate around the subject matter guys can 100% feel objectified during sex I'm sure that that's happened to many guys because I sort of was thinking like a theory as to why this happens is maybe the two totally different narratives that guys and girls are fed growing up surrounding sex I don't know that like I'm not trying to say that this is correct or anything it was just something I was potentially thinking about this is a bit of a generalization and I don't know how to not generalize this but guys grow up more with porn than girls or at least thinking that porn's okay and a part of their coming of age, whereas girls don't get told to go and watch porn yeah. or masturbate or any of that stuff. No, it's not It's not normalised in society. So guys, you know, are expected to go and watch porn. A lot of porn is barely even sex. Like it's It's crafted. It's crafted and it's false. And it's giving false expectations of what they're going to get out of sex and how sex is going to be and what they should expect from it. Yeah, and how sex should be done and how you should have sex with the partner. Whereas girls generally are more brought up with the idea of fairy tales, they're prince charming. They're always going to be treated like a princess and cared for, or they need to be cared for. Yeah, it puts too much pressure on guys to be the princes. Exactly. So then like how, because how are we meant to come together and have healthy sex when we're fed these two totally opposing narratives growing up about what it is? Boys watch dirty, niche, different types of porn. That's again, adrenalization, but that's what we're talking about here. And girls watch movies where... The girl is softly woken up by true love's yeah. kiss. And neither one of these things are real. Neither one of these things are what we should be expecting from sex. And neither one of them are going to fit together for an enjoyable experience. Exactly. Oh. There's a huge 
cavern between these two ideas. And I think like this is something that needs to be brought in like end of high school. Like, yes, you have puberty lessons when you're in like year four and five. And then you have maybe health in year nine and ten. But actually, where is the chat in schools about sex and creating a healthy relationship with your own body? Where's the chat about female masturbation? I'm sure as fuck I've never been told how to do it or that it was okay to do in a lesson at school. Like, oh, God, no. Literally, all we were taught about sex at school was like chlamydia and herpes. Or how to put a condom on. Exactly. Abstinence is best. Like, (laughs) that's so outdated. And, And it shouldn't come from teachers either. It should come from experts in like self-love and liberation and sex it should come from sex birds not from your washed up PE teacher that has been dragged into this awkward chat with her class that she doesn't want to do it should be taught by someone that wants to do it and is going to go into the gray area of bad sex and is going to have a framework of how to talk about it and even just letting students or people know that it happens it would be really interesting actually to see what sex ed is like in schools these days because I'm sure it has changed quite a bit since we were at school. But if you're a teacher or a student and you want me and Liv to come in and talk about sex and bad sex at your school, please do email us at hi at shityoushouldcareabout.com because we will happily put together a chat about all of this or just play them this podcast. As long as you guys know that bad sex, for what we have defined it as, which is very broad because there's no language around it as we know, but it happens. If you have experienced this or if someone else that you know has experienced this and talked to you about it and doesn't know how to get further help, um, you can free call or text 1737 at any time to chat to a trained counsellor. You can also call um, the Safe to Talk National Sexual Assault or Sexual Harm Helpline at 0800 044 or text them at 4334. And we also have all of this information linked in our Feeling Shit page on shityoushouldcareabout.com. So there is help available. And as you guys know, we are always here to listen to you, to be a safe space and take submissions if you feel like writing is a way for you to come to terms with your experience. So just know that you're validated and we really are trying to keep this conversation going and we get it. We understand. Right, Liv, shall we wrap this episode up for the week, doll? Yeah, I think it's time to stop blabbing. Guys, if you enjoyed this podcast or any of our previous ones, please do go and give us a rating or a comment on Apple Podcasts and make sure you subscribe. It really does help us and we love seeing the shit show in the charts because honestly, we are just sitting here talking shit and it makes us feel really good and we love you guys for it. Yeah, how fucking cool. Thanks, guys.